So we're also walking through the gospel according to Mark as we gather here. So if you have your devices or your Bibles, flip or click to Mark chapter 4. We'll head towards the rest of the chapter uh, today. These are some of the only parables of Jesus recorded in Mark. It's certainly the only chapter of parables that we find. The famous parable of the tenants comes in Mark chapter 12, the theme fitting a little better later in the story. Matthew and Luke, the other gospel writers, they record a lot more of Jesus' parables and his teachings. It seems that Mark is more interested in showing us Jesus in action, showing his life. His, really, his life is the message primarily. And what is that primary message? Have we lost sight of that after just a few months in? I hope not. But considering the year, uh, refreshers are probably good as we've lost sight of so much, it seems. The primary message that Jesus teaches with his life and then therefore his words and his parables is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Those are the first words that Mark records Jesus saying in this gospel in Mark chapter 1. The kingdom of God is near. It's at hand. It's available now. So repent. Change your way of thinking and seeing that you might receive it and begin to walk in it. And then he invites his first followers, come, follow me. His kingdom may be unexpected from our perspective and upside down, but may we begin to see it rightly. The reality is it is here now, it always has been, and it's possible to walk into it in the here and now, not just in the someday, if we will change our mind, change our thinking, if we will repent, metanoia in the Greek. And if that's the definition of repentance, a new way of seeing and a new way of thinking, then we've become quite accustomed to that this past year, haven't we? We've become or becoming a people of repentance as we start to see in whole new ways. Lord, continue to change our perspective and grow us, we pray. All of Jesus' life and work reinforce this primary message and mission. Likewise, all of his teachings and his parables are meant to help those with ears to hear be able to grasp the kingdom and grow into it. So let's look at these final two parables in Mark chapter 4. Jesus leaves no room for confusion what his primary point is. He starts right out each one saying, this is the kingdom of God that I am teaching. So Mark chapter 4 verse 26, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows but he knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, he at once puts the sickle in because the harvest has come. And he also said, what can we compare the kingdom of God? What parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that even the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. And with many such parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. Lord, make us able to hear it. Give us ears to hear. So here we see two more kingdom parables, as we've already looked at a couple. Two more garden and growing themes, as is a recurring theme in the Gospels. These are great parables to reinforce our 
greenhouse mission and vision. Great parables for springtime as we're already beginning to see the signs of spring and longing for more as the cherry blossoms and magnolias start to come out in full. One of our core convictions is what we see in the scriptures and who God is, is that healthy things grow and they multiply. They grow and they multiply. It's that way in the physical world that God has created. It's that way in the spiritual realm. And they parallel each other. It's as if God can't do any other but make things grow and multiply and invite us into the same work. Both of these parables are really emphasizing the same meta-narrative, the big theme of God's kingdom. His kingdom will grow. It will multiply. It almost always starts small. Sometimes it's very slow, painstakingly so maybe at times, but it will flourish. See, God loves to take small things and make them great things. He loves to take weak things and make them strong and powerful. He loves to take what seems to be ordinary things and make them extraordinary. He loves to take things that appear to be dead or even are dead and bring new life in them and through them. This is the way of God. The parable of the mustard seed, I think, is the most clear. It's the most transparent message about this kingdom this small, small seed, half the size of a popcorn kernel. Now let's give Jesus license to use hyperbole as they often did, especially in parables. I've heard people say, Jesus is wrong. There's a smaller seed. What about the poppy seed? That's smaller than the mustard seed. That's not the smallest seed in all the earth. Let's understand when the Bible speaks figuratively or in parables as we would in a poet poetry and other things. It was likely the smallest seed that they did plant in their garden regularly. And it became one of the largest trees, if not the largest in all the garden, becoming even a tree with branches. I think it's very clear what Jesus is trying to emphasize, that God loves to take small things, unexpected things, and and surprise everyone by them, make them big and great. He does that throughout his story. He clearly does that with people. And so it gives us hope today, doesn't it? I think if Jesus were speaking to us today in this context in the Pacific Northwest, he would have used the Western Great Red Cedar. You know the Western Cedar, the largest tree in all of our forests. And yet, have you seen its cone? It is one of the smallest of all the cones. And inside that cone is one of the smallest seeds. And it grows to become the largest tree in our forest. Small things, seemingly weak things, unexpected things can grow to become great things, powerful, life-giving, fruit-bearing things. Such is the kingdom of God. God has been doing this from the creation of the world. He is still doing it today, and he has promised to fulfill it, to bring it to fullness, his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And good news, it is not dependent on you or me or us. This will happen. That's the message of these parables. The kingdom will flourish. It will multiply. It will expand. God will do this. And he invites us. While God does not need us, he invites us into this work. This is what we are created for, to live with and to know the reality of the kingdom, to enter into it, to live as citizens of heaven, even while we are here on earth, 
to extend the kingdom, which means extending what Jesus brought, love, peace, joy, and hope in word and in deed. It seems that this first parable is the invitation for us to be a part of this work, to be like agents or ambassadors, representatives, all pictures used for those walking in the kingdom and meant to represent who Jesus is. This is the second of, in the chapter of the, a parable that's very similar of sowing seed and seeing growth. It, the, the longer parable started in chapter, the beginning of chapter 4 with the, the sower and the soils, the different kinds of soils that are, are like our hearts or souls. Are they hard and resistant to any growth? Are they thorny or rocky? Are they receptive? Are they prepared and are they good? And it clearly seems that the sower in this case is God or, or Jesus bringing the word of God to bear into our lives. And now it seems that it turns a little bit. Jesus seems to mix metaphors slightly because the sower doesn't seem to any longer be Jesus for the sower now does not know how the growth happens. Certainly couldn't say that about God. So it seems that we are being invited to become the sowers ourselves, to become like the gardeners who scatter the seed and enter into the same kind of work now having been recipients. I can almost imagine Jesus saying to his disciples, I've invited you to follow me and you've been listening and hearing and observing. You've been entrusted with the word of God, the good news of the kingdom. So get out there and scatter the seed. You do not need to know how the growth happens, how the life comes, but it will. Certainly you don't have control over the reins. Oh, do we know that all too well? God is always at work and faithful. He will bring from seemingly dead things new life, from small things great growth. The harvest will come. Now, I, I don't know if you're like me, but you, I've heard this parable preached with a very strong evangelistic call, almost a heavy, if not guilt-laden call that we're not doing enough. This is, this is our responsibility. The kingdom won't expand if not for us. It can become very self-centered if we believe that and receive that. Have you heard a sermon similar to this? I'll give you four responsibilities from this passage. One, we must know the message, the word of God. We must know it inside and out. So here's a list of books to read, verses to memorize, Bible studies to attend. You need to be prepared to answer every question that comes to you. Number two, we need to prepare the soil. In this case, the soil is the stubborn, hard, sinful ignorant hearts of those who haven't yet heard the gospel or have been resistant to it. We must soften that soil. We must learn how to be contextual with the gospel. Here's another list of books to read and courses to take on evangelism, training, friendship building, counseling techniques, hermeneutical and apologetic principles, missiological methods, and contextualization practices. Number three, now, we, now we're ready to scatter the seed now, by the way, that process is going to take months, if not years, to ready yourself. But once you are, then you can get out there and scatter that seed. Knock on those doors. Stop those people in the streets. Hand out your tracks. Send out your emails. Post on social media. Make sure to invite those peoples to church. 
And then four, number four, all that's left, reap the harvest. Reap the harvest. Has anyone heard any kind of message similar to that? Or is it just how I grew up? Maybe I've preached a similar message to that. If I have, I repent. That's not the message here. The message of Jesus here is the kingdom is unstoppable. The kingdom will multiply and expand. It's just who God is and what he's doing. Do you want to be a part of it? Do you want to be recipients of this kingdom? Finding the life and life abundantly in it? Know it because you've experienced it. If you will, you will join in the expansion work. There's nothing else you could give your life to but to be representatives of Jesus and his kingdom of love and grace and joy and hope and mercy and freedom and justice and equity and compassion and generosity and hospitality. There's nothing greater to give your life to. Will you become recipients of this kingdom and join in? This is the message Jesus is teaching here. It's the message that is so clearly seen in the mustard seed. The kingdom will grow, it will multiply, it will flourish. It doesn't depend on us, it depends on God. But God invites us into that work. May it begin with us. May we first become recipients and then citizens, that we might become agents. Those who live in abundant life as recipients of the work of God's kingdom will become powerful proclaimers. Therefore, evangelists, which simply means making known the good news. We are all invited to become, if not commissioned to be evangelists. But if we understand the order, as Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you've been recipients of the kingdom, you will make it known. That's the natural flow. There's no guilt in that. There's invitation. And we're all going to be, made, we're all going to be proclaimers in different ways according to our giftings. There's freedom there. What joy is that? Now, I'm certainly not discouraging the active proclamation of God's word. Some of us need that extra motivation at times because there are, are steps to take that sometimes we hesitate because of what that might cost us. And knowing that we're not alone can be encouraging. I'm not at all discouraging learning about cultures and context, being missiologists. And I believe we always should be growing in the art of friendship and hospitality and generosity. All good things. And maybe there are good courses about those things. But I hope it comes from a place like it does from Jesus of invitation and conviction. Not heaviness or guilt. I'm convinced that now in our present cultural moment, what's most vital for participating in the extension of the kingdom of God is that we receive it, that we continue to believe it day by day. And to do that, we must know it. But knowledge is... In, in biblical terms, knowledge is not what we would call head knowledge and understanding, but experience, experiential knowledge. I can say, and maybe some of you can say, I'm beginning to know the Pacific Ocean. I think I know the Pacific Ocean. I don't know it because I've seen it in pictures or read about it in books. I've know, I know it because I've waded into it, swam in it, floated upon it, flown over it, in multiple places, states, and countries, and continents. And even then, while I could share with someone who has never stepped foot 
or set eyes on the Pacific Ocean, I could share much more about it. I would humbly say I almost know nothing of it. I need so much more experience before I could grasp it. Similarly, as we come into the knowledge of the kingdom of God, we could say we are beginning to know it and experience it if we've begun to follow Jesus. That's what he invites. Come, follow me, and I will make you. Here's another illustration, not a parable. I know this is true for some gathered here or watching online. If you've lived with some form of chronic pain, back pain, joint pain or arthritis, GI pain, illness or disease, and you have found a measure of healing through a physician, a therapist, a doctor, a chiropractor. And in some cases, if that pain has been completely removed from you or that illness healed, you will become an immediate evangelist of that physician or therapist or doctor. You won't need to go to courses to learn how to share about what has happened to you, the healing that has been brought to you. And while that doctor or therapist has likely explained in some degree medically how they've brought healing to you, how it has worked, how they've diagnosed it and worked it together, you either don't fully grasp it or don't care. <laughs> Maybe more and more you understand it to bring help to others, but initially it doesn't matter if you have been healed, if the pain has been relieved, if you found a, full, a renewed sense of life. Perhaps a more intimate example is falling in love. And for some of us, that's happened many times. As you are falling in love and still don't fully know the person you are falling in love with, and you maybe can't even explain how it is happening, you know it. And you begin to speak of this person and think of them often. And likely, I've been told by friends or family, shut up already, enough. <laughs> oh, was I talking about them again? The newness of that relationship growing at a deeper level. The good news of the gospel of God's kingdom is about a person. It's about a king who is also a physician. He's also a lover. And we are invited to know him and experience him and follow him in this way. Jesus is the answer to the two greatest longings of the human soul. We long to live, to truly live, Abundant lives, full lives, meaningful lives with health and strength and vitality and longevity. We desire life and we desire love. To receive love and to give love. All meaning and purpose in life is fulfilled in the ability to receive and give love. And therefore, life itself is dependent upon it. This is why Jesus came. This is the kingdom of God. We cannot have the kingdom and its benefits without the king, though our world likes to try. Let me paraphrase Jesus' words from John chapter 3 and John chapter 10 as if Jesus was saying it to us, his disciples. For God so loved the world that he sent me to make his love and his kingdom known that you might live in it forever. For I have come that you might have life and life abundantly right now. 
What is the gospel? What is the good news? It is this. Jesus offers life, abundant life, eternal life, growing life, and he wants us to know it today, to begin to experience it today, to always be at a place of beginning, no matter how long we've been journeying after him, to experience, receive, and walk in it. Come, follow me. And immediately his disciples did. Now, to be sure, the road is long. It is not often easy. Growth is often slow and incremental, but our lives are changed forever. The question of how and how this is possible and how new life is given are good questions, and Jesus does answer them to a point. But ultimately, we need not know fully or be able to explain how, just as the farmer doesn't need to be able to describe how that seed that looked dead germinated to produce new life and grow into a tree that ultimately bears fruit or a harvest. Nor do we need to be able to define or describe or explain how we've received healing from a physician, from a therapist, or from a medicine to be able to experience its effects. Nor do we need to be able to describe how we fall in love to know that we are. The harvest in God's kingdom is always promised. It will come just as the seasons will always change. That's never in doubt. Will we be a part of the harvest? Will we be there to experience it? The Apostle Paul says in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, at God's time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity today, let us do good to all peoples. Let us endure. Let us be faithful. This idea of harvest, this last word, is a picture that's important for us. It's probably lost for us who are not as agrarian today. The idea of a harvest for the Jewish people was one of great work, great preparation, great waiting, and great work. But it was also the time of celebration. The harvest times were their greatest feasts of the years. There were often week-long celebrations. After the work was done, the harvest was brought in to receive the first fruits. The first fruits to receive and be blessed by and give back to God in honor of his provision. Week-long celebrations. Imagine the greatest wedding you've ever been to and that extending for a week of celebration, of singing, of dancing, of eating, of feasting together. This is the picture of harvest that the, the Jews would have received from Jesus. And he's saying it's greater than you've ever experienced. That's the hope. That's the promise of the coming feast, the coming day, the coming harvest. So be faithful. It's an invitation to draw on him in our times of weariness, to not give up and to do good daily. It's just a small glimpse of the kingdom of God. If we will keep following the ways and the words of Jesus and walking in his kingdom daily, receiving and believing, we will be present to experience the feast. Let me pray for us. I wrote out the prayer today. Lord Jesus, heal us, our minds and hearts and souls. Forgive us our sin, primarily that we fail to know your love and receive it and fail to extend it fully to all peoples. Thank you for taking small things and making them great things, weak things and making them strong things, seemingly dead things and breathing new life into them. That gives us hope as individuals and as a community. Breathe new life 
into us, Lord. Thank you for inviting us to share in your kingdom work. We trust you for the growth and multiplication in your timing. So help us to wait, to watch, and to endure. And oh, how we long to celebrate your harvest, the fulfillment of your kingdom on earth, the fruit of your spirit, love, joy, peace, justice, equity, unity, freedom, healing, hope forever and ever. Amen.